Evie by Bart Meehan, inspired by the short story by James Joyce, performed by Nicky Hunter. Sitting at the window as I do every day, watching the evening spread across the avenue. I'm leaning on the curtains and my nostrils are filled with the smell of dusty cretonne. Mr Marshall just passed on his way home. I heard his footsteps on the pavement before I saw him and afterwards crunching on the cinder path that leads up to the new houses. Once there was a field there where I played every afternoon with other people's children. But then a man from London bought it and built little brick houses with red roofs. All the children of the avenue used to play in that field. The Murrays, the Carmichaels, the Duncans. Little Kevin, the cripple boy, and me with my brothers. My father often hunted us out with his blackthorn stick and we'd run as he chased us, laughing like it was a game. Da was no so bad back then, and besides... My mother was alive and well enough to tell him, let them be, Michael. But that was long ago. Now I'm grown up and Tizzy Duncan is dead and the Carmichaels have all gone to England. Things are always changing. And now it will be me that is leaving. Will you look at this room? I've dusted everything in it once a week for years, wondering where on earth all that dust came from. And in all that time, I've never found out the name of that priest whose photograph hangs on the wall beside the coloured print of St Andrew's Square. The priest was a school friend of my father, and the only information ever offered about him was, he lives in Melbourne now. This place is all I've ever known with its cracked cups and damp walls and faded photographs. And soon, I will leave it. What do you think they will say in the store when they find out that I've run away with a fella? <laughs> I expect they'll talk for a gossipy minute and then move on when Miss Gavin sees them whispering behind the counters. She is not one to tolerate idle chatter. She will quickly fill my position and smile to herself when it's done. I've never been her type at all. I do not have the right look to be selling fineries to the ladies of the city or to husbands seeking forgiveness in silk for some venial sin. Every word she has offered me over the years has had the hard edge of judgment. Oh, but it won't be like that in my new home. I will be one of the fine ladies in Buenos Aires and it will be shop girls running after me. You look quite beautiful in that, madam. Oh, I wish I had your figure and your hair. It is just wonderful. <laughs> I 
Soon I will be a thousand miles from here, a thousand miles from gossipy girls and Miss Gavin, and from himself with his whisky temper. When we were growing up, he never went for me like he used to go for my brothers. But now there is only the two of us in the house, with Ernest dead this last year and Harry working down south somewhere. The dad always liked his drink, but these last year the grog has made him bitter. He comes home from the pub and I can see anger in his face because he's been thinking about all the things he is not. And I know it would only take a stray word to set him off. I swear, if he ever raises a hand to me, I'll take a pan to him. And then there are the squabbles over money. On Saturdays I collect the housekeeping putting all my wages into the pot and the few pounds Harry sends up every week. But when I ask himself, he says that I'll only squander it, that I have no head for money and he's not going to give me his hard-earned to throw away on the frivolous things silly girls buy. Well, there's much more said after that, for he is usually fairly bad of a Saturday night. But by Sunday morning, feeling rough and repentant on God's day, he finally gives me what he has left after buying round after round at Davy Burns's. Oh, it's hard work to keep a house together like that. It's hard work, a hard life. But now I'm about to leave it. I am about to leave it and have another life with Frank where I won't be counting pennies in the bottom of a jar and arguing with the butcher over the price of fatty meat. I will be sailing away on the night boat and there will be an ocean between me and... and the past. Frank is my saviour. That big, open-hearted man who was lodging in Mrs Ferguson's on the main road when I first saw him on my way home from the store. He was standing at the gate, his peaked cap pushed back on his head and his hair tumbled forward over his face. We smiled on the first day and then said hello on the second and soon enough he was meeting me outside the store every evening and seeing me home. How exciting he was with all his tales of distant countries. He started as a deckhand on a ship out to Canada and sailed on many others over the years until he found a life in Buenos Aires. He is a wealthy man now, though he still spends money like a poor one. He takes a room in a boarding house instead of a fancy hotel. He wears clothes that are too loose and the shoes that are scuffed on the toes and worn on the heels. <laughs> he needs a woman's advice and he knows it. That's why he's come back, to find a wife that will care for him and his big house. Of course, himself found out about the affair and forbade me to have anything to do with him. I know these sailor types, he said, as if that was all that was needed to put an end to things. So instead, we began to meet secretly. And what an adventure that was. The excitement of planning each meeting. Who will there be? Will we be seen? But Frank tired of it quickly. Said he was a fully grown man and too old for children's games. He argued with the da and I thought there would be violence, but 
Frank controlled his temper and said he was taking me away, that I deserved better. Afterwards, I saw Da by the fire and thought how he was growing old lately. And for all his complaining and all the arguments, how he'll miss me when I'm gone. The truth is that there are good memories as well. Not long back, when I was laid up for a day, he read me a ghost story about a murdered woman looking for her heed and finding it in a hat box. And then he made me toast and tea. <laughs> Another day, long ago, when my mother was alive, he'd taken us for a picnic in the hills and put on her bonnet to make us laugh. Those are the things I'll remember fondly. The clock is counting down to the hour. My, my time is running out and yet I'm still here, sitting at the window, staring into the street. The lights are on in the windows now and mothers are standing on their doorsteps calling children in for their supper and there is an organ grinder playing on the corner. I know the tune. The last night of my mother's illness, we were together in her little room at the front of the house, and outside there was music. Da went off to give the Orden Grinder sixpence to go away, and while he was gone, Mother grabbed my arm with a strength I thought had long left her body, and whispered, Promise me, Evie, he's not a man who can live alone. Her eyes never left me as she said it. But before I could answer, himself came strutting in, saying, Damned Italians coming over here. Mother fell back into her bed, wet sheets wrapping round her like a shroud as her body convulsed. She began to speak in the old language and schoolyard rhymes, plucked from the girlish memories flooding her last moments. It's nonsense she's speaking, Da said. I could hear the fear in his voice that men feel at times like this. Promise me, Evie. No! No, I was born a woman, but I will not let that condemn me to a life of kitchen steam and dusty rooms. I will escape. Frank will give me a new life and, and who knows, perhaps love as well. Why should I be unhappy? I have a right to happiness. Frank, Frank will take me in his arms, fold me in his arms. He will save me.
Here I am, sitting at the window, as I have done for all these years, watching the evening spread across the avenue. I'm leaning on the curtains and my nostrils are filled with the smell of dusty cretonne. The organ grinder has moved to a more generous corner. The children are skipping on the path, jumping over the cracks, and mothers are in their houses preparing suppers in steamy kitchens. <sighs> when I went to the station that day, I stood among the swaying crowd while Frank spoke to me. He talked about our passage like an excited child, but the station was full of soldiers with brown bags and young men still smelling of their last pint, so his words disappeared in the confusion. I looked through the wide doors of the shed and caught a glimpse of the black mass of the boat with its shining portholes. And I closed my eyes. Frank asked something, but I didn't answer. Then the boat blew a long, mournful whistle, and I thought, if I go tomorrow, I'll be on the sea, steaming towards Buenos Aires. The passage is booked. How could I draw back now after all he has done for me? I felt a nausea through my body, then a coldness and I began to tremble. Promise me, Evie. The bell clanged, and Frank grabbed my hand, and all the seas of the world tumbled about my heart. He is drawing me into them, and I will drown, I thought, and pulled away. The crowd moved, pushing him beyond the barrier, and he called for me to follow, no, no, it's impossible. I clutched the iron railing in a frenzy and I cried out, there's the promise, you see. And he looked at me with a desperate and frightened face. Evie? The crowd shouted for him to go on and still he called to me, Evie! I turned my face to him one last time and, as a mercy, my eyes gave him no sign of love or farewell. And then he was gone. Himself will be home soon and wanting his supper and Harry will be back on Sunday. I'll need to go to the markets tomorrow and buy enough to feed us all. It's always busy on a Saturday, but I'll elbow through the crowds and come home loaded with provisions. A while back, a letter came postmarked Buenos Aires. The postman said he'd never delivered one that had come from there before. I held it in my hands, marvelling at how clean the envelope was after travelling so far. I remember it was a cold day and there was still ice on the step and I was thinking how warm it must be there. 
I pictured Frank with his face wet with sweat and him smiling that smile. Harry will be married soon. He's been seeing a plump widow down south and I doubt they'll come back here to live. As for himself, well, there's less of him each day. Time has eaten away the big man that chased us out of the field with his blackthorn stick. One morning soon, I'll take him his tea and there he'll be, his face as grey as his pillow. And what then? Will I potter around an empty house, dusting the cups and saucers, and the photograph of a priest long dead and buried in Melbourne? Will I take in boarders like Mrs Ferguson down the road? Young men up from the country, working the roads and the docks and then spending their wages in Davy Burns's pub? Or will I come back from the graveyard, wrapped in my black shawl and go to the old box on the dresser? The letter has been there, unopened all this time, pinned down by my mother's rosary. Will I pick it up and run my fingers over the sharp corners of the envelope and across the strange face on the stamp? Will I sit on my bed and wonder if it holds forgiveness or even a steamer ticket to a new life? And what if it does? What if it does?